Hey, well, last week, if you were not here, we kicked off our new sermon series that we are in called Abounding in Love. And we discussed some of the ways that we think God views us and the implications of some of those ways that we tend to think that God views us. And Pastor Bob took some time uh, to really walk us through understanding the depths of God's love for us, which really we have a hard time even wrapping our minds around. Um, One of the quotes shared near the end of last week's sermon came from the book, The Cure. And it says this, kind of this is God speaking. What if they knew that the basis of our friendship isn't how little they sin, but how much they allow me to love them? And that really sets up our time today as we're going to be focusing on what it means and what it looks like to receive God's love. And before we dive in, I want to be brutally honest with you guys and let you know that I am barely scratching the surface in understanding this in my own life and grasping it. Receiving God's love does not come naturally to me whatsoever. I'll get into that in a little bit. And so I have a ton to learn in this area, okay? So I ask that you guys would be patient towards me. As someone standing up here, because I fully know that there are people sitting in these pews who have a much better grasp of this, who do a lot better of a job in letting God love them and receiving that love at deep levels. But one thing is certain, no matter where we are on this journey of letting God love us, he can meet us there. No matter where you are on the journey, he can meet you there. Amen? All right, so let's dive in. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew 3. I think it's page 1376 if you're using a pew Bible. It's a very familiar passage to many of us. Matthew 3 starting in verse 13 and we'll end in verse 2 of chapter 4. The baptism of Jesus. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Yeah. So, Jesus' baptism, if you didn't know, is often considered the beginning of his ministry. Okay? That is kind of when it began. And he kicks off his ministry. First thing he does is receives love from his father. It's the first, the most important thing that he could do. God the Father audibly, literally spoke from heaven and said, This is my son. I love him and I am pleased with him. And after receiving God's love, 
and being reminded of the Father's heart towards him, it says he goes into the wilderness. Some of your Bibles might say he goes into the desert. And he was tempted there by Satan. And he spends 40 days fasting, not eating anything for 40 days and 40 nights. I know many of us have fasted here. Some of us, 24 hours. Those of us that are really spiritual, maybe three full days. I doubt any of you have fasted 40 days. I do know one person who has done a 40-day fast, and it was unreal. After 40 days, you're going to be hungry, right? I would be hangry. Isn't that the word, hangry? Yeah. I'd be pissed, actually. (laughs) So he spent 40 days not eating and using that time to receive the Father's love, be reminded of who he is, who the Father is, and what his mission is and was on earth. And it's interesting to consider that his ministry only lasted about three years. Three years was all he had to change the world and really change the course of human history forever. That's not a long time to change human history forever. And he spends his first 40 days away from everyone. He spends his first 40 days letting his father love him because he knew what was most important. And this is really a repeated pattern in Jesus' life. Again and again, if you read the Gospels, we see him withdrawing from the crowds, withdrawing from people to be with his father. Luke 6.12 tells us he spent a whole night praying to God, the entire night being with his father. We know that he would slip away, it says in other passages, he'd slip away into the wilderness. He'd go up on a mountain alone and pray. He'd get up early in the morning while it was still dark to spend time with his father. On and on he would do this. This is how the literal son of God lived while he was on this earth. If receiving love from his father was important to Jesus, how much more important should it be for us? Receiving love from his father is how he began his ministry and how he endured his ministry up until his brutal death on the cross. So knowing that, how could we possibly think or act as though receiving love should not be the top priority in our spiritual journey? Something that we don't really have to think about much or focus on or be intentional about. Why is our focus, like we talked about last week, so often concerned with how well we're behaving and how obedient we are to God's commands? Many of us have it flipped upside down. We obey in hopes of pleasing God and earning his favor, and that is not how he designed his love for us to work, which we'll get into here in a minute. To prepare for this sermon, this is kind of fascinating. I interviewed three individual members of this church. Their names will not be said. And I asked this question on the spot. I did not give them any time to prepare because I didn't want a good church answer, right, that they could tweak and polish. It was raw on the spot. Here's what I asked them. Pretty easy. What does it look like to receive love from God? What's it look like for you to receive love from God? And it was crickets. It was crickets for a bit. Kind of looking around like, uh, I don't know. Finally, someone spoke up. And they said that they receive God's love when something happens in their life 
that is so undeniably from God, there's no other explanation. That's one way that they see God's love, experience it. They said that they also receive his love by kind of speaking God's heart over themselves. So saying, you know, I am loved, I'm God's son, I'm God's daughter, things like that. All great things. Another person said that receiving God's love is like someone chasing after you. So all of you runners, you know, running after you until you finally slow down and stop and let them meet you, embrace you, and pour their love over you. And then the last person, this was pretty interesting. They said they receive God's love most when they're broken and literally weeping. And in those moments, it feels like God is literally hugging their heart. And that's how they receive love from God. And those are all very, very different ways of explaining how we can receive God's love, right? Those are all over the map. Some of that's due to the fact we all receive love differently. What might make me feel most love maybe doesn't resonate with you, and that's fine. But I can confidently say this. Asking most Christians how they've been allowing God to love them is almost like speaking a foreign language to them. We don't get it to the extent that we should. It's not a question many of us have been asking much, if at all. If you want a deer-in-the-headlights look, start asking Christians how they're doing and letting God love them. It's a question I'm trying to incorporate a lot when I meet with people. How are you doing? What's that look like? How much are you letting God love you? And this practice of receiving love, whether it's from God or from others, is difficult for a lot of us. Some of us are just afraid of being hurt. Maybe we've been burned or betrayed in past relationships, and so we're like, "Uh uh-uh. Some of us feel unworthy of being loved, and so we just isolate from others. And just shame takes over our life. A lot of us even struggle with just letting people love us in simple ways. Like providing a meal. Or helping with a chore or something around the house when they know we're really struggling. And we could use a hand. So, I've got a question for you guys on that note. Why is it so difficult to receive God's love? Why is it difficult even to receive God's love through the kindness of others? So what gets in the way of you receiving God's love? The floor is open. We'd love to hear from you guys. Why is it difficult for you to receive love from God? Yes. What's that? Guilt? Guilt, okay. Yep. Guilt and shame. Yes. Your pride, okay. Yeah. Guilt, pride, what else? Okay. 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 He struggles to believe that the words the father spoke to the son really apply to him. Yeah? What'd you say? You got to do more? Yep. Okay. Yep. Anyone else? My journey of receiving God's love has been rocky, to say the least. Um, 
If you don't know me well, I'm an Enneagram type two, um, which what that means if you don't know or don't care, that's fine. Um, what that means is that I'm kind of wired a little bit. Um, I have this wiring in me that really longs for people to like me. Anybody else just really like to be liked? I'm the only one, three, three people? <laughs> Fake news. There's something in me, I like to be liked by people, and I'll go to great lengths to get them to like me, okay? I want to help others, I really do, but if I'm being honest, a lot of times my niceness is masked by a deep desire to be accepted and to be approved by them. So that's just kind of my natural bent, my whole life. And on top of that, I have real-life experience that taught me that I'm loved and accepted by others when I perform well. Over and over and over again, that was the message I received growing up. So you have a natural bent and real-life experience that taught me that to be loved, I have to earn it. That is not a good recipe, okay? That's not going to go well in learning how to receive God's love. When I played a good basketball game in high school, People patted me on the back. Oh, awesome, great shooting, whatever. When I played a bad game, missed a bunch of shots, or was lazy on defense, which happened a lot, people would pat me on the back, but it was a pat of pity. There's a difference. Oh, yeah, all right, man, you try better. Just try harder next time, right? When I failed exams, my teachers would be proud. They would vocalize that. Sorry, when I passed exams, when I failed exams, sorry. <laughs> Wow, I went to St. Joe Christian, great school. That's messed up. When I passed exams, they praised me. When I failed exams, I remember, come on, Justin, you can do better than this. You gotta try harder. Okay, try harder, do more. I get it. So in this world, that's bad, filled with so much comparison and competition, it's really hard to believe that a love could actually exist that's not based on our performance. It's really hard to believe that. And through my childhood, I also learned that I, when I would hurt someone or disappoint someone, they would distance themselves from me. They didn't want to speak to me. They would withdraw from me. So all of these real-life experiences crept into the way that I view God. If I felt I let God down, I'd question his love for me, kind of like Justin was saying a little bit. There have been times in my life where I know when I was failing to honor God, when I was living in sin, where I actually, my image of Jesus, this is no joke, was he was in the room with me, but his face was looking at the ground. And for a long time, I actually believed that he was so disappointed and disgusted with me that he could not even look at me. And viewing God in that way filled me with so much shame. You don't have much to live for when you honestly believe that the God of love is pointing his finger at you every time you mess up. Living with that lens and that view of God is exhausting, it's defeating, and it fills you with hopelessness. Because you will never, ever measure, measure up. 
And so for the past several years, I've been on a journey of learning how to let God love me. And that has looked many different ways over the last several years. One of the biggest ways God has loved me has been through the kindness and compassion of other believers in my life. My wife, not being judged by my wife when I mess up big time. I've shared my deepest secrets with some close men, and they helped instill in me the truth that God doesn't judge me either. That's been covered. My sin is covered by his blood. He already took care of that. Even when I walk in nature or have times of solitude, there are some of those times literally I feel peace being wrapped around my body. There's no other explanation except I know. It's from God the Father. It's as if he's saying to me in those moments, hey, Justin, I've got you. You're good. You're safe and secure right here with me. Memorizing and meditating on scripture passages related to how much God adores me has been huge as well in this journey of receiving his love. Just this past week, I literally um, printed off a sheet of paper and taped it to my desk downstairs. And on that sheet, it has 10 Bible verses listed out that just describe how God adores me and how much he loves me. And I'm, in, I'm getting my counseling degree right now. And one of my assignments for my upcoming class, one of the things that I'm doing just for myself personally is to spend the next two months just reading those when I'm at work. Reading those and just letting them pour over me to remind myself how adored by, I am by him. Think about this. Have you guys ever considered that Jesus never asked, he never asked anyone how much they've been praying? Did you get in five minutes this week, five minutes today? We need to get that to seven. He never asked, hey, how much you read in the Torah? How much time have you been spending in the Old Testament? 10 minutes a day, we need to bump that a little bit. He never asked any questions like that. Here's what he asked. His first question he asked someone in the book of John was, what do you want? I love that. What do you want? John 1, 38. He looked at the two men following him. What do you want? And I think that is so fascinating. And all of this really even that question gets back to the issue of desire. I'm not great at receiving God's love. Years and years of being taught that I have to perform well to receive love is not going to go away easy. It's going to take years to rewire my brain and that mindset. It's going to be a journey. It's going to be a fight some days for sure. But my desire is there. To keep learning how to let God love me at deeper and deeper levels. And desire is the starting point. If Jesus asked me, what do you want? If I was in the right state of mind, I would say, I want to learn how to better let you love me. That's what I want. That's what I want to grow in. That is the deepest desire of my heart. But so often we skip the conversation. We skip that conversation with Jesus. 
We've been told so many times what we're supposed to do as Christians. Pray, read your Bible, go to church and serve. And that should equate an intimate relationship with God. Scripture is filled with examples contrary to that. Just look at the Pharisees. They are the perfect example of doing the right things and missing Jesus in the process. It's like this text in Hosea where God says, I don't want your sacrifices, I want your love. I don't want your offerings, I want you to know me. Bob shared last week that God is not after our obedience, he's after our surrender. He's after our heart. If he has our heart, obedience will follow. If he has our heart, obedience will follow because we will realize he is the greatest treasure in this life and that we are the apple of his eye. What child would not want to spend time in the presence of a father who they know, man, I'm the apple of his eye. All of us want that. As Bob and I were talking this past week, he likened um, receiving God's love to being in a canoe. Random, right? I think we got a photo. Yes. So here's the connection. Imagine you're in a canoe on a lake or maybe a river, and someone throws a big rock at you or something heavy in that canoe. There's a good chance you're going to fall, right? Because your base is not steady, especially if you're standing. That's not going to go well. But how much different is it, though, if we're on solid ground and someone throws a rock or something heavy at us? We can catch it much more easily or get back up on our feet a lot easier than falling out of a canoe into a treacherous river. If you're in a canoe and the rock drops in your canoe and puts a hole in it, that could be disastrous, right? If you're on solid ground and a rock is thrown your way, you could catch it depending on how heavy it is. Or you could dodge it and avoid it. And it's probably not going to be life-threatening. And the point is this, if we're all wobbling through life, uncertain, unsure of God's love for us, always wondering if he's happy with us, is he displeased with us, then everything will become amplified. If we're not secure in the foundation of God's love, then we will be crushed by the difficulties of life, and we will almost always be in despair when we experience heartache and loss. Most of us here are probably familiar, I know you are, with the story, the parable of the prodigal son, right? You know it. The younger son leaves home, loses all his money to wild living. The older son stays home and does all the right things while his younger brother is gone for a while. The younger son finally returns home after being broke. The father runs to him in ecstatic joy, sees him at a distance, runs to him, throws his robe on him, puts his ring, puts a ring on his son's finger, and throws a massive party for his son that just returned that he thought was dead. The older brother, though, he's jealous. He's sitting there in resentment because he's been a good old boy. All these years. And his father never threw a party for him like that. And he doesn't get it. 
He, can't, he cannot understand it. And reflecting on this story, in his book, Surrender to Love, David Benner had this quote. I think we have it, yeah. The father's love reflects the father's character, not the children's behavior. Responsible behavior does not increase the father's love, nor does irresponsible behavior decrease it. I want your guys' thoughts on that. Here's my question. Keep that slide up for a minute. Take a drink. How would your life be different if you believed that to be true? How would you view yourself and others differently if you believed that God's love for you was constant, regardless of your good or bad deeds? How would your life be different if you believed that to be true? That his love is not based on your behavior or your performance. But what would that change in your life? The floor is open. It would draw you near to him when you're in, yeah, when you're sinning, when you're in shame. Yeah, okay. When maybe guilt's taking over. Good, yeah. What else? Okay, yeah. It would change his ability to receive correction or challenge or difficult, yeah, what's, uh, yeah constructive criticism because he knows I'm good. I'm good with this person. His love is secure. I'm, I'm secure in it. Anyone else? Yeah, he said it would change kind of a state of just this mindset and of just um, restlessness and urgency to just being able to rest in that type of love. Good, good. Most of you know that I lead our um, a monthly mental health support group here. It's called the Mind of Christ. We've been spending um, a good chunk of this year working through a incredible podcast that you should listen to called Being Known by a Christian psychiatrist named Kurt Thompson. And he said something in the most recent episode that we talked about that I want to share with you guys. He said that we literally come out of our mother's womb looking for someone looking for us. From the first breath we take on this planet, we are looking to be loved. So the first item of business in life is to allow ourselves to be loved so that our life can be a response to someone else's delight in us as opposed to the other way around. When we know someone delights in us, beauty and goodness and great things will flow from us. When we try to do good things in order to be someone's delight, we'll always fall short. In order to create beauty and goodness in the world, we first have to receive it. We cannot give what we do not have. 
Rather than measuring our relationship with God by our good deeds or our prayer or Bible reading or tithing or church attendance, what if our energy was spent on learning how to let him love us? Because if we get that right, everything else will follow. If we learn to receive God's delight in us, we will want to immerse ourselves in his word, engage in community, and live lives that are marked by generosity and surrender. And guys, as we come to the communion table here in a few minutes, I want to give you some time to reflect and to consider how you've been doing. Just the question that I asked those three people. How have you been doing in letting God love you? What's that looked like? Is your life a response to God's delight in you? Or is it marked more by trying to earn it? We cannot give what we do not have. And receiving God's love is a continual daily awareness. And it's a practice that most of us are just unfamiliar with. It's foreign. It will be a paradigm shift to move away from focusing on good deeds as the qualifier of a healthy relationship with God to letting our focus be on simply receiving his delight in us. So I'm going to give you guys a few minutes now to set in his delight and his love for you. He planned you. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. You were the apple of his eye. You are his sweet aroma. Nothing will separate you from his love. He allowed his son to die so that you would not have to. Believe it and receive his love for you today. I'm going to pray. The ushers will dismiss you by row. You can come forward. Take a piece of the bread and dip it in the juice. And we have a gluten-free option if you need that as well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of love. I ask that we would follow the example that Jesus so clearly laid out for us of receiving love from the Father. God, we desperately need it. Lord, forgive us for trying to earn your love, for feeling and believing that we have to perform to become your delight, God. Your word says that we are the apple of your eye. Help us to believe that and receive it daily, deep down to the core of our being, God, so that guilt and shame won't take over, that we'll with, stop withdrawing and isolating from community, God, because we feel that we're not measuring up, Lord. We will never measure up on our own, by our own deeds. It's all a gift, God that we will never be able to earn and deserve, Lord. We thank you for your radical love that does not make sense, Lord. You truly are abounding in love. God, as we have a few minutes of silence right now, help us to receive it. God, show each of us what we need to hear and how we can grow and just better let you love us, what that could look like in our lives, Lord. We want to be people who know how to receive your love 
Hear our prayers, Lord.